Hello there, it's Peter Mansbridge, host of The Bridge, where we reflect on the issues of the day and how they could impact you. Politics, public health, technology, they are just some of the topics you'll hear about. Cut through the clutter and tune into The Bridge, a serious XM podcast available everywhere. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. When Ukraine was invaded by Russia in late February, many of the world's democracies raced to support it. With aid, with weapons, and with lots and lots of words. At the same time, some of the people living in those democracies decided they would support Ukraine more directly by packing their bags and heading over to join the fight. I'm just doing like, you know, what I think is the right thing. I think it's our responsibility, my responsibility to help those people. If that means sacrificing blood or life to give them that. You can just sit, you know, at work, at home and feel okay. It isn't known with certainty just how many Canadians are currently fighting in Ukraine but the number is well over 500. They even have their own brigade. But it isn't the Canadian-Ukrainian brigade that we're discussing today. That brigade is directly associated with the Ukrainian military and organized with help from embassies and from politicians. The brigade we are discussing today is none of those things. But it is run by a Canadian It has several Canadians in its ranks, and it is right on the front lines of the war. That's what we do know about it. There are a lot of other questions that are much murkier, harder to answer, and much more dangerous. Does this brigade have enough weapons and ammo? Is their leader stable and trustworthy? What about accommodations and supplies? What actually is their military objective, and why are they selling merch on Facebook? Yes, the Norman Brigade, as it is known, is not your average group of foreign fighters. So, who are they? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Tom Blackwell is a senior reporter with The National Post. Hi, Tom. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Why don't you start, and I understand that this is not uh, the gentleman's real name, but why don't you start by telling me who is Harulf and what do we know about him? Uh, Yes, uh, Harulf is a Canadian. He's uh, he's from Quebec, um, and he is the commander of a foreign fighter unit in Ukraine, one of these uh, groups of uh, foreigners who came to fight on behalf of Ukraine against the uh, the Russians. Um, and his unit is called the Norman Brig- Brigade, um, which actually has some uh, significance to uh, Canada uh, it- itself. It's uh, sort of uh, an ode to the uh, settlers from Normandy and France who, who came to uh, New France, uh, mm. you know, a few hundred years ago. Um, and he is operating in uh, southeast uh, Ukraine. And th- this is uh, this Norman Brigade 
is not, well, arguably not part of the official sort of foreign legion that the Ukrainian government's set up called the uh, International Legion for the Territorial Defense of Ukraine. It's it's somewhat independent, I guess, um, although he, he uh, insists that, that it do, he does have an arrangement with the Ukrainian military, but, but it is sort of a, a standalone unit. I want to get into that in a minute, the uh, overall big picture of foreign fighters in Ukraine and, and all the different groups and how they do or do not uh, work in concert with the Ukrainian military. But first about the Norman Brigade specifically, what is it, I guess? Do we know how and why it began? Like, where did it come from is perhaps a better question. Yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I think it was uh, more or less the, the creation of this fellow Harolf, along with some other uh, military veteran friends uh, of his to you know, uh, respond to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, Harolf is also, he has another connection to Ukraine. He has a, a wife and children uh, who are Ukrainian and, and, and live in Ukraine. So that's sort of part of his, I guess, motivation to, to do this. But um, uh, yeah, it was, it was essentially built up uh, as a response to the Russian invasion. And, you know, they started, uh, they've Created a Facebook page and started raising raising money and and recruiting fighters from literally from around the world, and you know they they're even like selling merchandise to hmm. uh, to to raise money that that kind of thing. How does that process work? Um, first, unofficially with the Norman Brigade, like somebody sees a Facebook post and reaches out, say, hey, I want to fight too. Let me in. Like, what what happens? Yeah, I mean, essentially, I mean, and. This is, uh, in terms of the broader kind of phenomenon of, of people from places like Canada who want to go over and fight. I mean, there, I'm told there are a lot of people who have no military experience or very little military experience that have gone over there. But also there's, there's people who not only are, are, uh, military veterans, you know, that, that they were in, regular armies or, or or other military units in their countries, but, you know, also have actual combat experience. And I certainly talked to, a f- you know, a few of those who, who initially at least joined the Norman Brigade, and a couple of them told me that they had started to go through kind of the official route with this international legion set up by the Ukrainian government, and that was taking a while. Mm-hmm. Then they came across the Norman Brigade online and got in touch with the organizers and thought, these guys are these guys sound legit, so uh, I'll join them, because that seems like a, a faster route to sort of getting into the fight, I guess. Um, but they, yeah, that's essentially uh, how it's happening. Uh, it's uh, sort of recruiting uh, on- online, essentially. In terms of the big picture beyond the Norman Brigade, what do we know about uh, Canadians fighting in the Ukraine? Do we know how many and who's going and why? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a bit of a murky picture. I, have right. to say. I mean, I've been it's something that I've been trying to sort of track over the last uh, few months, and it's it, it's difficult to get a really uh, clear handle on what's going on. I, I think partly because those who do go over, and at least the most of them anyways don't sort of really publicize in a big way that they are there and, and, and what they're doing, you know, for security reasons, for their own security and, and sort of what they in the military they call operational security and, and also for safety of families back back here in, in Canada. What I've been told by the International Legion is that, and this is uh, 
a month or so ago, they, they said, you know, at that point, more than 500 Canadians had uh, had joined up officially. I was told, um, by again, by the International Legion that there was actually a Canadian, a, a separate Canadian unit within the Legion called the Canadian-Ukrainian Brigade. It's, mm. it's unclear to me how formal a, a unit that is. But anyways, it certainly seems like, you know, hundreds of Canadians have gone over to uh, to Ukraine to fight. How do they get there? Well, I mean, basically, uh, you know, you can't you can't fly into uh, Ukraine. The airspace is closed to to civilian air traffic. So basically, people fly to Poland and then uh, go, uh, you know, uh, by ground into Ukraine, and then make their way to whatever unit or organization they they've may or may not have made arrangements with right. uh, uh, ahead of time. About the Norman Brigade in particular, then, to bring it back to uh, the focus of your reporting, you mentioned they're in southeastern Ukraine. What are they doing there? What are conditions like? Like, can you just sort of describe the scenario? Sure. And I, I should I should point out, first of all, that, that when I initially interviewed Rolf, the commander of the Norman Brigade, um, you know, I agreed at his request not to disclose exactly where he's operating, um, mm-hmm. you know, again, for his security for the, for the security of the of the unit that that he's with. I mean, there's there's a perception on the behalf of the a lot of the foreign fighters that they would be specific targets of of the Russian uh, forces that they would like to capture or, or you know unfortunately kill uh, these foreign fighters for sort of propaganda reasons. As far as I can tell, they are working with uh, Ukrainian military in this region of the country. It's it's a bit of bit controversial depending on who you talk to whether they have any kind of formal relationship with the Ukrainian military. Pressed on that point, Rolf told me that that they are uh, sort of embedded with a, a local territorial defense force of the uh, of Ukraine, which is sort of the the volunteer force that, that mm-hmm. was built up after Russia invaded. Where you know where they you probably heard about where they you know. Basically, ordinary people sort of joined up and, and and underwent military training. So, and and he uh, he says that they do have you know contact with the uh, Ukrainian defense ministry. Uh, it's unclear exactly how formal <laughs> the, their arrangement is, but anyways, yeah. uh, he does seem to be working with the uh, Ukrainian military. And and uh, the first time I talked to him, he described. Uh, an operation that he and one of the other members of the Norman Brigade went on to recapture a village that the Russians had captured, and that was it was quite a quite a tale that he told about that. Um, you know, it was, it was pretty hairy experience. He described it as you know, like nothing that that Western militaries have been involved in in places like you know Afghanistan and, and the Middle East. You know, where where essentially you had a modern military fighting against uh, against insurgents. This was completely different thing, you know, fighting against another modern military with artillery and air power and tanks and et cetera, et cetera. I'd love to know a little bit more about Harulf himself and how he leads the brigade. I know you've talked to um, some former members of the brigade. I know uh, they describe this particular unit as as pretty unusual, I guess. What do they say about him? Yeah, I mean, and as I mentioned, my first contact with him was uh, an interview you know about this operation he went on, um, and then subsequent to that, I, I uh, heard from people who had initially joined the Norman Brigade or said they were going to, and then since then have uh, basically abandoned them and, and 
gone to the, the official international legion. And yeah, they, they had, uh, and this includes uh, his sort of second in command who was working from Canada initially and on the sort of fundraising and, and recruitment effort. And then in April came over to Ukraine. They, I mean, I, I guess one of their complaints was that, uh, you know, he, he had been there for a couple of months by the time people I talked to made it to Ukraine. And, and, you know, they said there seemed to be very, very little groundwork laid for uh, all these people that were being recruited, mm. you know, that no one in authority in, in Ukraine seemed to know anything about the Norman Brigade. And they, they eventually got to a, a city that was sort of like a staging point where they were supposed to undergo training before going to sort of the front with where, where Herolf is based. And they said, you know, they were initially had this accommodation that they described as like a dungeon or they were sleeping on hard floors. They got like two meals a day. And sometimes it was just this sort of thin soup. Um, you know, there were, even though they were supposed to be training, there were very, very few uh, weapons amongst them. And, and at one point there were like 27 or 30 of, of these recruits. And, and these guys were all, or almost all, uh, you know, military veterans, combat veterans who had sort of given up their, their civilian life to come over. And they, they got to this staging point and uh, there were like seven AK-47s amongst the, the 30 of them and, and, you know, very little, ammunition and one of these people i spoke to said you know it's like 30 rounds of ammunition per person and with an automatic rifle you you use that up in, in no time and they're saying you know certainly to go into battle against the russians it would be like suicide to to be armed like that you know i heard from uh, someone who came a bit earlier than these guys who said they met up with at this sort of city which was like the staging point they met up with Rolf and you know who revealed that there were there were weapons for thirty percent of them. Now, Rolf, you know, challenges this story, but but the story I was told is that, that those who were not assigned weapons were, were told to go sort of to somewhat near the the front and, and dig trenches, you know, without weapons, without uh, without body armor. It was a situation of what they described as very poor training facilities, very little uh, weaponry. I guess when they sort of push back a bit from against uh, Rolf uh, about some of this stuff, uh, things sort of became more heated, huh. and uh, and I can I can tell you a story about him sort of uh, coming up to this uh, staging base and, and and the confrontation he had. But uh, uh, that's when things sort of really kind of got too much for for some of these uh, recruits, and, and then they decided to leave essentially. Well, what happened? Now I'm curious. Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, at one point, uh, Rolf uh, arrived after like two or three hour drive from from where Norman Brigade is is ostensibly based at the sort of the front. Uh, he arrived with uh, himself and, and two other members of the brigade. Um, they were wearing they were wearing body armor. They had loaded uh, rifles and. Um, rocket-propelled grenade launchers uh, strapped to their backs, coming into uh, sort of a barracks, I guess, uh, you know, living accommodation uh, for these mostly unarmed uh, fighters and confronted his second-in-command in in this other Canadian in a very aggressive way and, you know, uh, sort of blasted them for, for 
for questioning, uh, you, you know, his uh, how he was leading the brigade and, and, and that kind of thing, um, and and just sort of generally with his attitude agitating a lot of these uh, people who would come to, uh, to to fight with him essentially, and, uh, and I think fr- from that point things just sort of went uh, went downhill at least at least for this group of you know twenty five thirty uh, recruits who would come over at that point. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. I got to ask you because it it's mentioned in your story as well. You know his his personality might have might have aggravated some people. Um, what about his his tattoos that people thought had a different meaning? Yeah, I mean, and this is a, a point of contention with with Harolf in terms of what they mean. But um, yeah, at one point people noticed that he had a tattoo of what's called the Black Sun, and this is a tattoo that um, certainly I'm told by sort of anti-extremism researchers is uh, a symbol that was created uh, by the SS in Germany um, during the Second World War. It was, it was the symbol of, uh, of the SS and has been adopted by some neo-Nazis uh, since then, more recently. So the, the people who saw this were, uh, were were fairly, you know, appalled. One guy said that, you know, his, his friend sort of saw this and kind of spit on the ground in front of Harolf and said, you know, this is what our grandfathers fought against in the war. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I should, in total fairness, should say that Harolf is, uh, takes great exception to his uh, tattoo being characterized that way. He says he's not in any way neo-Nazi, doesn't have right. any leanings in that sort. And, and he describes the tattoo as, as being of a sort of a, a Scandinavian or runic uh, origins um, and does not in any way see it as being... Uh, you know, associated with uh, with Nazis. But uh, that being said, fighters who saw this um, were, were not pleased, I guess, to say the least. Fair enough. Um, this is one thing that I'm really interested in because, you know, you've mentioned a few things that you say Harolf disputes. How difficult is it uh, when reporting something like this to try to figure out which of these claims, if any, are true? I mean, uh, it's been hard enough getting reliable information on the war specifically, so I can't imagine this is easy. Yeah, no, it's not easy. Um, and that's why, I mean, I initially talked to the former second-in-command um, uh, about his uh, complaints about Harolf. But after that, I, I talked to, I think, four other um, uh, recruits, I guess, all of whom were, you know, combat veterans uh, who had originally joined the Norman Brigade and then after these incidents decided to quit. So uh, I, I did get sort of very similar stories from, you know, five different uh, people. You know, there were incidents and, and complaints that it was unclear, you know, what where the truth really lay, so, which right. I sort of left out of the story. But, you know, I, the things that I mentioned at least were, the stories were consistent amongst the different uh, recruits that I, that I, uh, that I spoke to. And I, I should mention, just to be fair, I mean, I also spoke to 
uh, a guy um, who also goes by Nom de Guerre, Wally, W-A-L-I, which uh, uh, listeners might might have heard of because uh, he got a fair bit of uh, media coverage when he first went over to Ukraine. He's he's a former Canadian Army. Uh, he's a Canadian Army veteran, a sniper. Uh, that was his uh, job in, in the Canadian military. Um, and he went over to Ukraine and initially joined the Norman Brigade and spent about a week there with them. And he had a falling out with the, uh, with the commander. Uh, I think the last straw was when the commander suggested settling their differences with, you know, with a, a fist fight. But, <laughs> but he's, but th- that said, he said, you know, I, I like the guy. Uh, he, he's a good fighter. He's a good warrior. And, you know, let, we, we shouldn't be, you know, fighting amongst ourselves. The real enemies are, are, are the Russians. So, Anyways, um, so that was another uh, another perspective on the guy, and he he's, he said he described him as he said you know his leadership style is kind of very old school military sort of top down you know I'm the boss and you know some some might not have uh, uh, especially being sort of volunteers some might not have appreciated that. I want to ask you uh, as we get to the end here, just for your general takeaways on Canadians traveling over to fight in Ukraine, specifically Harulf and the Norman Brigade, but also just in general, you've talked to a ton of these guys. Um, what kind of impression did they leave you with? Well, I mean, I, I think there's a variation. I mean, and it's, I, I think, uh, I think there's different motivations. Um, some of the guys I interviewed for this story uh, had belonged to the French Foreign Legion. And they said, you know, our Ukrainian friends from the French Foreign Legion, you know, they're, they're now fighting the Russians and we didn't want to sit back at home and, and let them, you know, fight on their own. So that's why we went over. So it's like, you know, their sort of loyalty to their former uh, French Foreign Legion comrades that, that brought them over. Um, some obviously just feel that, you know, that it's wrong what Russia is doing and they want to sort of help Ukraine however they can. Um, in Harolf's case, uh, it's it's that and, and also, you know, he has uh, these family ties to Ukraine. So different uh, motivations. Um, th- there's a guy uh, here, uh, Chris Eklund, he's, he's a businessman and, and sort of philanthropist for kind of military-related issues. He, he was uh, helping a lot and in, in trying to get, uh, you know, former Canadian interpreters in Afghanistan uh, out of Afghanistan after the Taliban took over. But anyway, he, he set up a group that's sort of offering support to these uh, foreign fighters going over to Ukraine. So he's, he's really talked to a lot of them and says, you know, a lot of them are totally inexperienced and, and ill-prepared uh, to, to become uh, soldiers in Ukraine, you know, have no military experience or, or very little, you know, and, and some of them seem to be motivated just by this sort of sense of adventure. They want to get combat experience or, you know, bragging rights for their friends or girlfriends. Um, but, but clearly there are a lot of Canadians who, you know, sort of feel you know, a real obligation to, to go over and help, and help, uh, and help Ukraine. Last question, what happens to the Norman Brigade next? Where are they now? Are they headed somewhere? Uh, well, I mean, as far as I can tell, they are, without saying exactly where it is, I, I think they are close to, to where there is currently uh, a lot of uh, fighting going on. So I don't think they'll have any um, any trouble uh, finding, uh, you know, battles to, to take part in. Hmm. Um, in. In terms of their recruitment efforts, I mean, this... This group has, uh, as I said, has 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 le- left uh, 
the, the brigade and joined the International Legion. Uh, one of them, the, his sort of former second in command, was actually, you know, overseeing the Facebook page and the recruitment and all that. So uh, he's actually, Rolf has now actually got a new Facebook page for the Norman Brigade. So, you know, it uh, remains to be seen, I guess, how successful uh, he is at recruiting more people. The people who, who left the brigade say they're recommending against uh, joining the Norman Brigade, but, um, you know, it, it remains to be seen uh, how that works out. Tom, thank you so much for this. Thank you. Tom Blackwell, senior reporter with The National Post. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Email us hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And please, however you get in touch with us, if you have a story idea, send it along. We've gotten a couple of great ones recently. We are working on a couple of them. So if you haven't heard yours yet, just keep listening. We do read every idea and take it to a story meeting. You can find this podcast wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, and you can ask for it on a smart speaker by saying, hey, smart speaker, play the Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. Hello there, it's Peter Mansbridge, host of The Bridge, where we reflect on the issues of the day and how they could impact you. Politics, public health, technology, they are just some of the topics you'll hear about. Cut through the clutter and tune into The Bridge, a Sirius XM podcast available everywhere.